The Entrepreneur Adventure, giving entrepreneurs the tools to climb higher and faster than ever before. I got to tell you, my friend, these last four episodes, including today's, of the Entrepreneur Adventure podcast have been so impactful for us as hosts because the people are straight up changing the world. Their purpose is so clear. Their focus is intense. Every single day, what they do makes people's lives better. And so it was just fun to be in the room with these four world-changing women. I'm your host of the Entrepreneur Adventure Podcast, Josh Belton, the Sidegig Prophet, joined as always by my co-host, the serial CFO, Mr. Chad Brown, and we sit down with Shonda Santana. Now, Shonda and I have known each other for a couple years. I'm so impressed with Shonda. She's the founder of Divas Who Win Freedom Center. Now, you're going to get blessed by Shonda's story, by her perseverance, and by the difference that she's making. And you're going to learn a lot as an entrepreneur about how to bootstrap your startup and just straight up make things happen. So here's our interview with Shonda Santana. Welcome to the neighborhood episode of the Entrepreneur Adventure. We've got our neighbor with us. We're here in the tax shelter studios. <laughs> and right across the street is our neighbor. And we're so happy to have you here today. Welcome today, Shonda Santana. We're so excited to have you. Excited to hear about what you're doing, your message, your journey and everything going on. So thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me here. I'm excited. Awesome. It's very special today, Sean. I guess what it's we're recording this on Thursday, November 19th. But we've put up our Christmas tree here in the studio. This just went up last night. Of course, our audience can't see it. But you get to see it, Shauna. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Merry Thanksgiving. Whatever it is, we got a Christmas tree. <laughs> oh, you're selling this thing short. Like, it's not just a tree. I got some... Garland, so yeah, yeah. snow-covered garland with lights and joy behind me. Like this is the first ever seasonal Christmas version of the Entrepreneur Adventure. Mm. So we got a little extra love, a little extra joy in here yeah. today. So I mean, we may have to add it's some exciting. Christmas music in the background of this. You episode. even come in bringing presents. I did. Josh I gave <laughs> presents. You know, it's repurposed from the cleaning company, but it works. <laughs> I like it. Shonda, I've known you for a couple of years. Yeah. And when I got to know you, there's a couple things I saw. I was like, okay, you went, we had some time at the same college. And we had a, an interest that for me was something that I was just interested in. It was a, I was trying to join in the fight against sex trafficking. And you were like on the front lines, William Wallace, let's go get them in this fight. And you're like just getting started from the standpoint of launching your entrepreneur adventure. And that brings us here today. And that was probably... Two and a half years ago, maybe? Yeah, maybe three, right around three And years. you're just crushing it now. So get us started. Tell us a little bit about your story and about what led you to start Divas. Yeah, well, again, thank you all for having me here today. So uh, Divas Who Win Freedom Center is a nonprofit locally here. And our mission there at the center is to create a safe space for women that destroys stigma and restores dignity um, to women who are overcoming addiction, prostitution, and sex trafficking survivors. And we accomplished that through peer support services. And um, it wasn't a vision that I just snatched down um, out of the sky, I believe. It really is birthed out of my own lived experience. 
So 23 years ago, I came out of the sex trade. 14 years ago, I was liberated um, and freed from drug and alcohol dependence. And then three and a half years ago, the FBI rescued my 17-year-old daughter from a family of traffickers. So it's uh, a very personal mission to me. So when, when you, uh, right previously to meeting you, I was starting Divas Who Win. I believe that there was a message of recovery based on how many people are impacted by the opioid disorder in our nation. And I wanted to create a space for women to come and kind of talk through that and work through some childhood trauma. But at that time, I was not prepared to say 23 years ago, I came out of sex trade. So uh, whenever I have a captive audience, which can be one person, I try to make the distinction between trade and trafficking. So the difference in my daughter's experience and my experience was that my childhood trauma really positioned me and primed me to enter sex work at um, the age of 17. And I was always in control of any money, any transactions. It was of my own will that I went into that I was not coerced or manipulated by anyone. It's just that was the impact that trauma um, had on my life. And I was in that lifestyle for 10 years. And it was the um, most difficult thing I've ever had to, uh, drugs pales in comparison to, to that lifestyle. Whereas trafficking is when there's someone else that has power and control. Someone else is benefiting from the services that the girl or the woman is participating in. So I still carried so much shame myself. I was a mom even back then. I had my first child when I was 20. And I just wasn't ready to talk about that, to tell that story. But I, I, tend, I was pretty bold about I'm a woman in long-term recovery because there were others that was, were saying I'm a person in long-term recovery. So what happened when my daughter was trafficked and rescued uh, and she survived that and the resilience that it took, and she's still coming back from it. But I just thought, you know, if a 17-year-old girl can just keep waking up and breathing again the next day after what she experienced, like how dare I sit on, on my part of the story. And so um, my heart broke in a thousand pieces, not just for my daughter and my family's experience, but I thought, what does the average person do that might find themselves you know, in this position? I had the benefit of, um, I went away for treatment for six months, left six children at home, and um, I had to seek help. It was life or death for me. But out there was a safe place where there were, I met so many women who shared so many facets of my life. We had such similar stories. So for 10 years, um, about 30% of the women who came to my old rehab, they were rescues from um, trafficking. So I knew about trafficking. I learned, I heard stories, but the difference was these were adult women. I never met a child that had experienced that but I was leveraged to be successful, if we should say, in terms of getting rescue for my child that the average person just wouldn't, I was at a loss when that defining moment came for me, but I had 10 years of stories. And so I thought it would, I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy to go through what we went through the summer of 2017. So I then became compelled to share the story with community to try and empower 
uh, groups and leaders and um, just individuals in our community because although I don't want society to shake in their boots like your kid's going to get snatched up at any moment in the Target parking lot because you see those posts, you know, on social media, um, that's really not where where it is. It's gonna most likely be interfamilial or it's gonna be someone who's primed your child in a relationship and something that's kind of fostered online. So um, that I set off on a journey, you know, three years ago to blend those three messages into a center where women could begin coming and I tell them the same, that same spiel that I gave you all my 23 year, 14 year, three and a half year, that has just uh, traveled with us over time. That's the first message that a woman hears when she walks through the door and tours our building. We take her to the mission statement on the wall and I let her know that myself and our team have lived experience in one, two or all three parts of that mission. Man, that's awesome. So. Uh- I want to highlight part of your story, and I know this, I want you to share it with our audience, but for your daughter, you had a timeline on this too, as far as in the fight that you had to go after to to get her the help that she needed and get her rescued from this. Can you just share with us just a little bit about that? Yeah, so um, my daughter's birthday is July 29th, so uh, she would have turned 18 on the 29th. So the way our judicial system is set up uh she was rescued on July 23rd. So we were trying to beat the clock before her 18th birthday because on the 29th, when she turns 18, she's just a prostitute. She's a prostitute uh, according to the law. And I I recall the night that um, a rescue organization was helping us. It was a Saturday night. And we met in that particular county with three of the sheriffs. And I'd taken pictures of the trafficker's car and license plate, and they were able to retrieve a certain amount of information to try the next day to go and see if she was there. But we were arguing in the parking lot. I was sending them pictures. And, you know, my daughter is a kind of a voluptuous woman, and she was 17, but looked 21 maybe. And they didn't view her as a child. They literally told me that... um, if your daughter is into prostitution, there's nothing that we can do. And um, I still get a little bit emotional about that. I remember like I was running on so much adrenaline, like from, I had found this information out on a Tuesday, like knew for sure through social media that this is a big deal going on. My daughter is getting ready to leave out of my presence again. And I, you know, hadn't shed a tear. I was just in mama bear mode. I, you know, had no care about my safety, any of that. I was just going to go find her. And when that officer said that that night, I literally just collapsed in the parking lot to my knees and just cried. You know, but I just thought my hope, it was midnight. I thought, oh my gosh, this is our last hope. We knew that she was within miles. We pinged her location and they were telling us she's a prostitute, you know, and it was the advocacy of the rescue organization, just three regular women there in the parking lot with me that came, sat on the ground with me, and then we all rose off the ground together and, you know, told the law enforcement, but tonight she's still 17. So they had to treat her as a minor. So a minor 
that I don't even use the words acts of prostitution because anyone under the age of 18 involved in commercial sex or exploitation is not prosecuted as a prostitute. And so that was the race. I had enough knowledge about trafficking to understand that the moment she turned 18, it was, it was a wrap. And then it would be whatever coercion and manipulation she'd experienced I would have no leverage over that. I could not take her by force out of the custody of someone. At 17, I could, but six days later, I would not have been able to. That's unbelievable. So legally, there's a timeline of that age where they can't, they don't have any other leverage legally to go get somebody and grab them out of those situations. Right. Well, what happens when, when it's a minor? the law has to step in like they, okay. they they're supposed to now you might have to fight for it sure but let's say if there's a woman who's 22 and in the same exact situation now if she wants the help you can mm. make the case but the judicial system just view not i won't say in in whole in part um still views it as prostitution just more education and training is needed so that they understand that even a 40-year-old woman can be so uh, impacted by her childhood trauma, manipulated by a family of traffickers, not held in bondage, and will continue to perform these acts and hand over every cent to the person who has power and control. Wow. Had no idea and can't imagine uh, the, yeah, the emotions and the mm. stress behind that situation and a timeline of yeah. days behind it. That, that's crazy. So with that, obviously lots of stress, uh, lots of things personally you're going through and dealing with, lots of uh, endless amounts of work and effort uh, to help your daughter at, at that side. What made you also have the energy and courage to start something on your own as opposed to plugging into the other organizations or things out there, what compelled you to, hey, not only do I want to give my heart and passion and life to this, I want to do it on my own. I want to start from scratch, which is way harder and way more stress and way more time that most people in their everyday lives can't drum up the courage to do, but you were able to do it in such an unimaginable trying time. What what made that decision for you or helped you make that decision? Um, so the concept of Divas Who Win had begun that year, 2017, in January. It was not going to include support for prostitution or sex trafficking survivors. It was strictly about recovery. So I'd done some community listening sessions. I began working on the 501c3. And then um, I remember our third community listening session that year, it was projected to have snow that May. And the library shut down, like things closed. I don't think we actually got the snow, but, you know, things. Typical Georgia, <laughs> yeah. But you had a lot of canned goods stored up right. and bread, right? <laughs> so things closed, and um, we didn't have that session. Well, my daughter's trafficking was just weeks later. It began towards the end of May. So when she was rescued, and then I was able to get her out of state uh, sometime the end of July, I was really kind of comatose for about 90 days. I just sort of sat on the edge of my bed and just couldn't move. You know, my daughter, I couldn't even nurse her back to health for her safety, needed to get her to a really safe place. And I don't know, I, you know, I, I speak of it from a spiritual sense, just something happened like the beginning of December. It's just like the heaviness lifted off me and I just had this supernatural 
surge inside of me to go and complete what I had started on earlier, you know, that year, been dreaming about it. When I look back at my Facebook page, I think Divas Who Win was established in 2013. So I've been dreaming about this for a long time, just a safe place for women um, to come together and share the things we won't tell anyone else, you know? And that surge hit me in December and that January, I was off to the races. I just, so many things happened like that were just not okay in our experience of my daughter's rescue that I knew that community desperately needed education and training. And I knew that there were other women that had stories and I was just ready to blaze the trail so that other women um, wouldn't stay in the shame and hiding those who were fortunate enough to to make it out, you know, and we wanted to be part of the tapestry of going back and, and helping those who were still stuck come out. That's great. What an amazing, powerful name also. I mean, divas who win. <laughs> you just don't get any better. That just gives you chills even saying it. It's 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 really cool. And you have, I, I'm assuming, no history at this point of starting nonprofits, working for nonprofits, hasn't been through the process. You are ground zero from scratch building this, uh, putting it on your back and say, I'm going to do this and, and this is, we're going to build this. Yeah, you know, the only experience, my, my rehab was a nonprofit, but I wasn't really privy to the back story. You know, we were just showing up there every day for women to get 12 months worth of treatment and doing groups and things of that. So I was in the direct service part um, part of things. But as far as the infrastructure, um, I just know that you were supposed to keep receipts because <laughs> <laughs> I, I love it. I remember our founder, um, uh, of that um, particular rehab, it's called New Beginnings in Martin, Georgia. Um, I would go grocery shopping with her. That was when she was still really, really hands-on. And um, she's an ex-Army general, so uh, like you have no idea of what she's like. We call her Granny. But I wanted a Snicker bar as we were shopping for cat. It was Thanksgiving, getting Thanksgiving ready. And I threw the Snicker bar on the thing, and she snatched it back up. And she was like, sweetheart, we're going to need to pay for this separately. I was like, what do you mean pay for an 89 cent <laughs> snicker? But she meant what she said. And now I do understand the power behind that. <laughs> that is so funny. So, Chad, you probably don't even know this, but I just looked it up. It was October of 2017 when I met Shonda. And the reason I met her is because, again, she just told us the story with your daughter was in the summer of 2017, right? Yeah. So it's just a few months after that, she's already like, I'm starting this organization, mm-hmm. starting to you know develop the traction from the standpoint and getting the ideas and, and organized and starting to get stuff on paper. And I received Shonda's resume. Oh, I remember this. Yeah. I, I can visualize the resume right now, but keep going. Yeah. yeah. So the resume is just the best resume I'd ever seen. So I'm like, oh my gosh, I got to be part of this interview. So Shonda comes in. I remember asking her. Shonda, this resume is ridiculous. Like this thing is so phenomenal. I had a picture on it. It was just amazing. It was like color. It was it was just the best resume. I felt like it was like an advertisement in a magazine. I was like, how did you do this resume? Do you remember what you did for this resume? Fiverr, I think. Yeah, (laughs) she's like, I I outsourced it, and I was like, that's what I knew. 
the person hired, hired. <laughs> they outsourced their resume and I was like the best resume ever and she outsourced it this is just like match made <laughs> in heaven but this goes into kind of what I want to focus on for this episode you're developing this nonprofit you're going to launch that's going to impact people that have had a story like you've had in your past but also a story like what your daughter's just experienced and you're doing whatever it takes so you're spending time at the library you know trying to research and write grants but you're applying for a job to clean a building at night to do whatever you had to do to get the money and just like survive while you could build the organization. Let's talk about the fight to like bootstrap an organization, especially one that we're talking about a nonprofit, right? Like to to be able to launch something and be like, all right, you got to do what it takes to win here. You're not in this stage now where you're working four side jobs to build this thing. You got a very successful organization. You got multiple locations, but back then, you and I met across the interview table. Yeah. And now let's look, we look across the street, the building's there, but then again, there's other buildings. Can you tell us about that experience and again, give some maybe advice to other entrepreneurs that are trying to launch something not full-time from day one and they quit their job, but they're working part-time jobs or doing whatever on the side, just fighting and scrapping to survive. Tell us a little bit about the story from that point of launch to now and walk us through the lessons you've learned. Yeah, so um, so what what I recall distinctly, like my first piece of advice would be, um, uh, there's a scripture, you know, that says, uh, he who is faithful over little will be given much. And I recall my 10 years at the other rehab and the nonprofit it is way out. Like I'd never even been around a cow before in my life until <laughs> I went to rehab. So I'm out of my city element altogether. But I remember giving my all to her organization like it was mine. You know, like I wanted the women to get the best care. And so when at the time that I met you, I was uh, working for a behavioral health system here in town, but I'd taken a medical leave from my daughter and sat on that bed, but needed to start. I knew in my mind that time was of the essence and that I needed to do something to become part of the solution right now. And um, so when I saw the ad for the cleaning service and it mentioned you could wear um, iPod and, you know, you would be off to your, I knew where my mental health state was that I just really couldn't plug back into direct services at that moment. And I knew that I was like carrying this baby, so to speak, that needed to give birth. So I took the same principle. I wanted to give you, you know, your company my best, even though I was working on my own thing. And it gave me the the freedom um, and the space to, to be able to do that. So However, I remember the Coca-Cola warehouse. Uh, so what I remember was going into that building and cry. Did I ever tell you that I cried in the bathroom once she showed me the work? I'm like, oh my God, how am I gonna be, you know, able to do this and do it well? And I cried in the bathroom because I didn't want to fail, yeah. you know. And and um and I decided to to take it on and you know did that job for a while. So that was like the first layer to land the not only did you do that job again i this is several years ago i'm involved zero in the day-to-day of the company i'm behind the scenes i handle the financial side josh keeps me away from everything else i don't <laughs> screw it up i remember the resume i can i've seen two thousand resumes probably in the last three years and that one i can see and visualize right now and i also remember you built some sort of spreadsheet or system or program around this Coca-Cola account, which was huge. 
it, that resume was so impressive. That may have been our biggest account to date. And we're like, we need to hire her and put her on Coke. She's awesome. And I think we somewhat looking back, probably threw you to the wolves there, but you built some system around it. <laughs> so I think the first lesson for anybody in the entrepreneur space or looking, this was not a glamorous, it was a, it was a cleaning company. It's not like you were applying for some big, huge corporate organization, but you went above and beyond with the resume, with taking on a huge account, and then without even really asking, building some sort of really impressive system around how to clean that facility and what to do. I mean, you were next level from the start. Oh my gosh. In, I... front, in everything. And I think as a young entrepreneur, that's something to point out really quickly on, my goodness, uh, if you could do anything when you're when you're starting out, whether it's a part-time cleaning gig or no matter what you're doing, if you level up and go to the places you were able to go uh, without any sort of history or knowledge, I, I think you'll win so much bigger. And it gave us a lot of confidence and uh, we'd probably let you do anything with the company. Oh at that my point. gosh, absolutely. Number one, I appreciate you admitting and saying <laughs> how little you do for the company. It just feels good for me. It's freeing for you to hear you say that. Uh, I'm glad you enjoy it. Uh, and uh, my recorded. favorite role is to criticize the operations of the company. I'm really good at that. So. Yeah. Well, I got it set now. You so keep all doing your what emails, you do. All your, your emails get filtered out of my inbox. I never read any of them. But yeah, Shonda, it was funny. You, you thought the same thing I thought. When you said Coca-Cola, I was like, oh yeah, Shonda built this whole route. It all started coming back. Yeah. Yeah. Off the floor plan. And it had like, it was just the best thing I'd ever seen. I was like, oh my God, how it's can amazing. we bring her in full time to make us work here? And it, you just, you, it goes to that verse you said that if you're, will be faithful with a little, yeah. then you'll, you know, you'll, you'll get much to be faithful with. Cause you did take this opportunity that again, you said first day, you're like crying in the bathroom. Cause <laughs> oh my God, what am I in my, you know, were you listening to your iPod when you were in the bathroom crying? <laughs> no. uh, Meditation. I was listening to my mother. I call my mother. <laughs> it, it's, it, it's really interesting t- to see it from both sides because from my side, I'm like, Shonda's over there like, in heels, bossing people around. Like she's like kicking ass and taking <laughs> names and lighting Coke on fire and like crushing it. And in reality, you're over there overwhelmed, crying in the bathroom. And it's just amazing the difference in what we saw from my end based on your confidence and ability to level up versus overcoming, I can't imagine, more stress and, and things behind what you're going through. Yeah, and even in that moment, as you mentioned, a little bit of feeling of feeling overwhelmed and of course you've been through this very difficult yeah. summer and this is just the fall of that year but not letting that defeat you and be an excuse to not choose to again to rely on your principles which were okay this is what i got right now i'm gonna give my all to it and you have more than anybody ever has in that like team member role for our company just like sold out to it did way above and beyond what you're asked to do and so again as chad mentioned that is a testament that if you're an entrepreneur and you're bootstrapping don't get a side gig and like dialing in just to get the paycheck. Like, no, if you give your best over there, then it's much easier to give your best at where your heart and passion truly lies. So you get, you're crying in the bathroom, <laughs> but you get this thing, you're moving on. So you worked with us for, I don't know how long, but it was just, you were phenomenal the entire time. And then there was another opportunity that you could kind of pivot to mm-hmm. and give your best there, I'm sure too. But this is the, the origins, the beginning of Adivas at this point. So take us from there. So from there, um, that January, uh, 
it, the light, like I said, in December, the light bulb went off and the heaviness lifted from me. And so I knew I had begun writing. I didn't have the funds to pay an attorney to um, draft, you know, the 501c3. So it had been a few years before just doing little bits of pieces and leaving on a Google Doc, you know, on the computer. And there was a day that I, I woke up and um, I don't even know that I could afford Internet at home, you know, at the time. So I went uh, to athens Clark County Library and I sat there from the time they opened until the time they closed and pulled all the pieces because, you know, I had files here and there, pulled everything together and um, added to the bylaws, redid the things to include the sex trafficking piece. And I, my whole goal that day was I was going to complete the 501c3 and get it postmarked at UPS across the street on that day. I wanted to file it, you know, that day. And I was successful. I, I remember sending, she's our board president. Um, I sent her the snapshot of the receipt at, at UPS that day. And, and, you know, it went in the mail. And for, for us, the 501c3 came seamlessly, like three weeks, four weeks later, it arrived in the mailbox. And there I was on the phone with my mom again that day. I was checking the mailbox and I saw who the letter was from. And I was like, are you kidding? Because you know, I heard all these stories. It'll take six months, which I know people are in that window now because of the pandemic. But uh, I was like, wait, wait, I think it's from you know the IRS and I opened it. And when I saw that award letter, I just cried, you know, crying again, you know. Tears of joy because you got a letter from the IRS. That's that a very rare thing, Shonda. <laughs> Most people, when they get a letter from the IRS, are in the bathroom calling their mom right. crying. Or straight to the shredder. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, so we were, it was official, 501c3, and that was uh, fantastic, you know. And, um, you know, there were some hiccups. So the 501c3 was great, but what I didn't do Something happened with my EIN number that I filed a year before. Anyway, all the names did not line properly. So that threw the corporation behind with the state of Georgia. And there was all these phone calls back and forth. And in the meantime, because of the work that I'd done in the recovery community um, for a few years, and I'd always dreamed about Divas and talked about it from when it was just a little seed, you know, like the baby had nothing and but I was talking about it as though it was already there and I talked enough about it that this funding um, some federal money came down to the state level and some of the circles of people that I was connected with said but what about that girl over there in Athens Shonda she keeps talking about this divas thing and um, but and now I had the paperwork to go uh, along with it so there I was facing a timeline again. I got the phone call. They were like, okay, this opportunity, it was a Friday. Your grant proposal is due on Wednesday, the following week. Um, so to date, I had not written a grant other than for a church playground, like years before for 5000 But now we're talking about a six-figure grant. And so I just start all the dreams, putting it all together on paper, Googling, Googling, Googling. And it was funny because I gotten everything together. The deadline was midnight that Wednesday. Well, my son was coming home from college, um, from University of Miami. I pick him up at the airport that day and put him in the car with the laptop because I had to do a workshop. And I said, make this look 20th century. <laughs> like, this is just a mess what I have on paper. I said, like, make it relevant. Make our proposal stand out in this pile. 
and poor boy had his laptop all day till 9.30 that night and he reformatted everything and we made it in just like two hours before the deadline and found out maybe a week later that we were funded, you know, that we would be funded as of September the 1st. And then that was when some of the hiccups, you know, got in the way of I had to have all these things aligned and, you know, I'm a girl with a GED, you know, I, I dropped out of high school for a stage name and I, I, it just wasn't even making sense. I was like, how, you know, is this happening? But people were believing in the, in the vision and we were doing the work right then and there. I had a little suite over at Tracy Street Warehouse, 300 square feet, and women were coming, you know, women were coming to talk, to cry, to pray, you know, to... Uh, talk about how to get out of domestic violence and, you know, and we're packing up babies and cars and, you know, whatever we had to do. And I just think that God honored that, you know, that was the behind the curtains. I was, it was that the Coca-Cola warehouse, you know, it was behind the scenes, the work that we were doing, doing, doing. And then there came um, the funding for that and had to go in reverse to get the corporation set, had to cry again. And with IRS, you know, I'm on the <laughs> phone. Like I remember like I was keeping a log, like 17 calls, hours on the phone trying to get this one thing changed. And then finally a lady gave me some grace and I don't remember what she did, but that finally pushed this piece of paperwork through to the point that the state held back the contracts. They moved the timeline so that we could be part of these 16 agencies that were coming in Whoa. on that funding. They pushed, they pushed it back um, because somebody was paying attention to, you know, the work we were doing here in Athens and the behind the, the scenes. And, and I think the grit that uh, I just was not going to take no, like there was, I needed a yes, you know, for this. It couldn't all be for not, you know? Yeah, so it's awesome what you're talking about here too. It goes to a very solid point for any entrepreneur you were able to have such extreme faith that you're like this is going to happen absolute certainty like i'm not stopping until it mm -hmm. happens and again this is easy things for entrepreneurs to they just lose the the steam resilience i mean you know exactly right like it just we get disrupted for some by something we didn't expect and like it's just like well maybe it's not meant to be yeah so easy to have that excuse this is too hard, too many obstacles. This keeps getting derailed. Maybe this is not the right time or the right thing. That You just kept pushing and pushing and dealing with things that you had absolutely no history or experience or education in that route. And, and faith and belief that I'm going to give it everything I got and it's going to work. And it, and it did, and that's amazing. And the other thing, too, I see here, which is really cool, is... There's just a pattern of how do I make this better? You're not just turning in a grant application. You're like, okay, how do I how do we spend the next nine hours making it better, making it stand out? The reason you had the opportunity for the grant, it sounds like, is you were talking about things, making the name and the vision stand out, even somewhat before it even existed. So. Uh, you you have w with us and our experience and everything we're here and go the next step make it stand out put yourself a step better than everybody else and you combine that with the work ethic and resilience you'll win every time that's yeah. really cool so i love this so i point this out um 
often on episodes, but our logo is over, over on the wall for the entrepreneur adventure. And typically, I talk about the mountains being like there's peaks and valleys, you know, yeah. on our journey, right? So there's times where you get to the top of the mountain, you kind of look and see what's next, but then you realize like most likely you're gonna have some more valleys. But this topic today, and I just talk really what you just said about like you just weren't gonna be denied, and like you just your faith was so intense about what was gonna happen, and they knew it. People around you're like, we just we gotta we just need to change this government mandated deadline so we can fit Shonda in. <laughs> it makes you think of the Bible verse about if you got the faith of a mustard seed, yeah. you can move a mountain. And that's the stuff mm. that I'm thinking of this mountain here. I'm like, you legitimately <laughs> moved mountains. Mm. I mean, all while figuring out how to deal with personal stress mm. and difficult situations, and you're not getting paid for this time. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing. It really is. Yeah. So take us from there because I'm, I've heard mm. the story, but I've never heard like the the long version of the story, like the yeah. nitty gritty details we're getting right now. I think I had heard the crying in the bathroom at Coke before. <laughs> I think you did tell me that, but uh, yeah, keep going. Yeah, so um, so at that time, um, <clears throat> so I, I came away. From, you know, I was working again. Came away from that job, and then just started kind of contracting back out at my old rehab. Just still trying to stitch things together as best that I could. And um, so by trade, from the time that I've been doing recovery work, I'm also a makeup artist. So I had this little 300 square foot room over at Chase Street Warehouse. And I remember that January, I knew I had to have a singular focus. I knew that I could no longer market. And, you know, I had that business for 10 years. I I knew I had to choose. And I was like, oh gosh, I'm getting ready to choose something that has zero dollars that's gonna actually cost me money based on you know what I am able to generate here and I did I made the choice and that was when we started inviting women so uh what year was this this is January of 2018 okay January of 18 all right yeah I'm so glad she didn't consult with somebody like me at the time (laughs) (laughs) yeah so uh and then then I realized that I couldn't do this by myself and I thought who is going to dream with me for no money? You know, like, you know, who's going to come with me? And so... This is where she's going to teach us about sales right here. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> um, but I just, I wanted, I, I couldn't, I had to be involved. There was like this redemption piece. Like I thought I sat on my story of coming out of a sex trade because there's so much shame and guilt, and, you know, and then I'm a mother and then I go to church and then this is like just... Who wants to hear the Garter Belt story? But the women out at that ministry wanted to hear it because it was part of their story. So I wanted to surround myself where my confidence would build and where I feel like I'm I'm doing something that's valuable right now. And so uh, I took a work readiness class out to um, the the rehab. And that sort of consumed, you know, my days while we were waiting on the paperwork and all the technical parts to be worked out. And then there was a girl that I knew there that I was there day one for her recovery. And I'd known her almost 10 years and she worked on staff and she was part of our board and she'd been dreaming with us in the listening sessions. And then one day she was like, you know, I'm thinking about making a transition out of here. I was like, you've worked here for like 10 years. I cannot pay you anything. And it's a reimbursable grant. So then we had to figure out once they tell us we're paid, we're really not paid. It really is like a six week you know, and she took the chance. She was like, Shonda, you've been with me since day one. And I believe I'm ready to take this work into community. You know, it's been a great 10 years, but I want to impact community. 
and she dreamed um, with me. And so the, the everything finalized sometime in August that year where we finally got the check mark, like, okay, we're assigning a number to Divas Who Win so that you can ha- have an EFT draft, you know, so all that worked out September 1st. And again, we just started where we were, three a room about this size, literally. And people always ask, we have a lot of throw carpets in our building. And they ask, oh, these carpets are so beautiful. But it's part of our poor man's story. We couldn't afford <laughs> chairs, but I could find a $20 throw carpet. And we had 35 women that would pack into a room this size Whoa. and sit on the floor. And they couldn't sit on the concrete. That was, you know, the suite. And we started there. And then after 35 women, I remember sitting with a woman one night who wasn't comfortable being in the little space and she had a lot going on. And I warned her at towards the end of our meeting, I said, in about five minutes, there's almost 40 women that are going to come. She suffered from PTSD. I said, they're going to come toppling out like a circus show out of this little small room. <laughs> and uh, I watched the tears run down her face, even though she was highly ridden with anxiety and PTSD. She just thought it was the most beautiful thing that this many women found a common theme to center around to get well, you know. And um, that was my key that night. I was like, we've got to enlarge the space. So then I I get these emotional attacks. I was so attached to that room, had been in it for some years, you know. And then I started looking for other space in the warehouse. And we found 800, like two rooms this size, a joint by a door. And so our tour back then... I'd turn in a circle. I'd say, this is our work readiness station. This is our art center. This is our retreat center. And all I'd do is turn around. <laughs> and start, but in my heart, this was legit, that building across the street. like, And I treated it like that. Everything was themed, you know, to perfection. Just, there were departments. <laughs> yeah, you know, and we stayed there until that room filled with 45 people, the group room. And then our board was like, you know, Shonda, you're really emotionally attached to the Tracy Street. And I was like, man, because there's something that's supposed to happen over here, but I know we need to get mainstream. And we started dreaming again. And I put the big post-it up on the wall and everything was bootstrapped from, you know, spray painting the chairs to tell my son, I'll pay you $25. He's a seamstress to knit the, recover these cushions. I'll cook you lasagna and pay you $25 (laughs) while you're home from school. And he did. And we just poured so much love into every piece of it. And then um, it was, we, December 1st, we stretched. That was 2018. We had the two rooms and whoever would come visit, they had to take the whole journey. I walked them all the way back around to the little 300 square foot because our massage happened still out of that room. Then people who were really invested, I walk them all the way down to our administrative suite. So we were operating out of like four sections. I was like, you want to take a tour and had to give out bottles of water at the end because (laughs) I took, I just, I knew that one day this would be in one space. And some people dreamed with me and walked and did the route. And then it was June of 2019 that I finally got up the courage to see what might be outside of this warehouse and wrote all the things that I wanted there. And 645 Hawthorne was the second building. And I remember the owner didn't want me to go inside. He was like, you know, we've got some roofers there and it's not the cleanest place. And I waited like five days and I kept harassing. I was like, dude, like I need, I, I, I feel something about this building. I need access to it. And he gave me all the warnings of, 
what it might smell. Like, gave me all the things about walking into that building. I was like, he doesn't understand where we come from. Like, <laughs> like this is, uh, doesn't matter. And sure enough, we were met with garbage, like single men living on mattresses and doing whatever uh, in that building. And we, I had the, as soon as I walked through and went upstairs, I was like, this is it. This is going to be home. You know, it's on the bus route. Women will have better access. And so we, two weeks later, we were in that building. We just collected. And I was so afraid that we wouldn't have items for all this. But by the time we put all four spaces where we'd been spray painting and, and reupholstering, tucking away, um, the building came together beautifully. And now we had the ability to satisfy the capacity because we have about 150 plus women monthly that um, come through that building. And that was the trajectory 2019, that summer, that building. But I hung on to our little room over, we were still locked in a lease at Tracy Street. And I just felt like I knew the freedom of the low cost of that 300 square foot room. For me, I knew that it carried me through a really bad divorce, protective order and all that, and now take care of six children. That was nine years ago. The little trade that I had with my hands of eyelash extensions and makeovers, partnered with a very low paying nonprofit job, it, you know, my children and I made it, you know, off of that. And I thought women coming out of sex work, women finally being liberated from drugs, like there's such creativity in them and they just need to be met with opportunity because sex trade is hard work and, you know, it's competitive like anything else, you know. And I thought if we could build a community over here in this warehouse where women could find a trade and the rent would be so low, we could provide grant. And anyway, I had this just whole dream for that. And I hung on to the space and our space was a joint to our neighbor, been there nine years. And the month that the uh, our lease was finally up, we're like, okay, we're going to get out of this I'm crying again because it was the month that we had to finally release everything there. Our landlord called and said, um, your neighbor, the neighbor who's been here for nine years is moving out. Would you like her space? And I checked with the board and I was like, hey, you know, we we want a two-year safe house. And the women, there's got to be a trade in the industry that we create. And the rent is so much more affordable over here in this area as opposed to other places in town. And so there, the dream just con continued on, you know, and we strategized our plan January of this year to build out the sustainability pieces there. Safe house is still another two years from now. And so now we have both locations, 645 Hawthorne and then Tracy Street, where our boutique will open um, in a few weeks. So here's one of the really cool things that's been experienced for me in 2020. And hearing you talk, it's the same message, dreaming. Mm. Dreaming has been such a big part of understanding and growth for me as an entrepreneur. Uh, the Stronger Business Summit, so many speakers talked about dreaming and brainstorming and dreaming. So, so many of our podcast guests in the last two or three months have talked about dreaming and dreaming bigger and taking the time to do that. Same message here. Uh, the dreaming side of let's dream bigger, let's dream uh, about a different space. I just see so much similarity in stories of success here over the last few months around taking the time to dream and mm -hmm. believe. And 
how big of a role do you think that had in where you're at now and how you've been able to build this? Oh, wow. It's major. You know, the, the beauty, if we can find beauty in the pandemic, was the slowdown of pace for um, the force mm-hmm. slow because I put my car's two and a half years old, 99,000 miles since Divas started, just sitting, you know, all over Georgia, <laughs> waving the Divas banner, you know. Um, but the slowing down of the pace and the dream um, and dreaming with others, you know, because uh, everyone's kind of in the same circumstance and situation. And so this year, you know, we became part of a national network um, that I'd gone to a workshop in Tennessee to kind of follow their model for sustainability and the safe house. Uh, And it's closer. And what I found is that if you dream loud enough, others will dream with you, you know, and that's what I found this year. My pace had to slow down so that my roots could really grow locally. And when I did that, I'm just still saying the same story. We had ladies come up from Albany, um, a a rescue organization yesterday, because they've seen us all over Facebook and they're like, we want to meet these diva ladies. And we sit there, (laughs) you know, three hours and realize, oh, we're part of the same national network and we were able to resource to some other things together. And it's, it's so much it's so much power in that because this all started, you know, three and a half years ago, I was just trying to get my daughter back, you know? And um, yeah, I just I just wanted my daughter back. And to see the level of even dreaming, even on a statewide basis, even around justice, dreaming and talking and people leaning into the conversation. And now there's some impact we may be able to have so that when girls seek justice, if they make it out and then make it to seek justice, there are things that need to change there too. So uh, dream loud enough alone so that others will dream with you. And now we've got a little army of people with this message, you know, around divas and even in the justice system. Uh, We, yeah, we sat in court last week with my daughter's trafficker and um, he'll get two 10-year mandatory, the sentencing is in a few months, but 20-year mandatory federal prison time. You know, from a guy that my daughter is number 52. They gave him numbers, not names. So number 52, and for some reason, we were able to get her on the floorboard of that car that day with the FBI in that driveway. And I told, when the traffickers picked her back up, I told them not to take her. I couldn't stop it. And I said, I named the Instagram. I said, that kingdom's going to come down. Now, I didn't know. I'm just this little woman, you know, don't know who's coming after me. I'm just this little woman. But there was the satisfaction of sitting there in that courtroom and he's shackled. And I told him that that kingdom was coming down. I told him. And so now we're fortunate. So that's the miracle, the miracle of my daughter, that fortune, we wanna represent women in court. We wanna change the language. Like don't refer to a child as a prostitute when you're advocating for her her case. So we just see it on, we're still dreaming, I guess is what I'm I'm trying to say. It's so awesome because it's a dream 
but there's so many other components to it. it there's the dream portion, but there's also the dream portion of having the courage to shout that out and yeah. share with other people, which people think you're crazy yeah. when you yeah. dream sometimes. Yeah. So she's kind of crazy, but mm-hmm. I can buy into this. Mm-hmm. So it's having the courage to shout the dream and then just the sheer freaking just dedication yeah. to accomplishing that dream mm-hmm. and the work and resilience behind it of, I don't know how this is going to happen, but yeah. I'm going to bring this organization down and I'm going to see justice here. And, and mm-hmm. that's such an amazing story. And I think there's so many places people at the day-to-day get the best of them. They don't dream. Mm-hmm. Or if they do dream, they're scared of what people may think, so they don't share that dream. And then when they do, having the resilience and the work ethic to put in to achieve the dream, you, you put all the pieces together and... And, and are s- still continuing to dream and grow. It's it's such an amazing entrepreneurial journey and experience to to hear you talk through that process. So there's one thing you said there, and it goes with just how you've chosen to launch Divas and even the name of it. And I just want to get your, your take on it. You said that your daughter was number 52 mm-hmm. instead of her name. The identity... Divas is is an identity, so it's not just yeah. something that people people do as far as in an organization or you know your activity, your whatever your product or service is in business. And as the entrepreneur, there's such a piece for us where we I think we struggle with what our identity is. Things get hard, and we start to identify as like, well, maybe I'm not a winner, maybe I'm a failure. Like it's just yeah. the emotional piece that's the most difficult part. You're mentioning this recent occurrence with the the kingdom that just came down. Mm-hmm. Well, this is three years later, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is a long time. Three years is a long time. With a lot of other stuff going on. Yes. <laughs> but I want to hear your thoughts and feelings, Shonda, on the importance of your identity. Because, again, it's such a theme throughout the story that you've shared and throughout, the, again, even naming mm-hmm. the organization Divas Who Win. Mm-hmm. So uh, for me, my identity is really centered in my faith you know, um, Christ gave me a new name. So at 26, when I came out of the sex trade, I was no longer this abused little girl. I was no longer a stripper and escort and all the things, all the acts, you know, I was no longer that. I was a child of the king and I, I got to take off those old garments, you know. And so Diva stands for develop intentional victory and success. So, you know, we wanted a place where women you know, you don't have to identify as junkie. You don't have to identify um, as um, a abuse uh, victim. Um, you don't have to identify as I used to be a prostitute. You know, there's just so many labels that are put on. So, uh, you know, divas, you know, can be a bit superficial in the in terms of what Google might say <laughs> about it, but it still is something that women appreciate, you know? So I wanted to rebrand um, the things that happened to us and the things that we've been through to where we're headed, you know? So that is to develop intentional victory and success. So women flock to that. Like they want to to be a diva. We get so much traction on our page because they're proud of their recovery. They're proud of what they've come out of. So for me, um, when the boat gets a bit rocky and, you know, pandemic, you know, there's some challenges, you know, all this dreaming, 
um, meant new leases, you know, and then it meant shutdown and we couldn't do so. We had to become innovative. And how do we still reach and connect with and, you know, just keep talking, keep dreaming out loud and see who will join you. And so at those times this summer, at one point, our funding was threatened by the state because, you know, they're downsizing everything. So we rallied a walk. It's like, okay, well, we're going to get some attention. So 150 people joined us on Hawthorne one Friday to walk up and down the street and honk horns to say, don't take the fun. You know, we just made a lot of noise and recovery works and it's important, you know, and we sent packages to all to the Senate, um, 42 packages with our book and you know, the, the, but where my identity, there was a, a, what helped me this summer when we didn't know what, which way things were. And we had a plan. We're like, okay, you're door dashing. I'm Ubering. Like, you know, we're going to figure out Hold a way. Hold on a second. You didn't say nothing about working for the cleaning oh. company. <laughs> what an option. Well, you know, we were just going to have to do an hour and get back <laughs> in. You know, we were just, we just weren't going to take no, but I, I recall the struggle, like, oh gosh, like, are we going to just lose everything? And, and the, the, what happens to me? But all I knew was that I still had a fight. I needed to hold my daughter's hand to get to the finish line of justice there. I was to remain sober. I was to remain with my spiritual connection to keep modeling what I model for my family as, you know, my daughter's young and her journey's still going. And so there was a time, you know, there in this journey, I have to separate from divas and just be the woman, you know, I'm, I'm the woman that God loves. I'm still the woman that God chose. And I don't know what this plan may look like, but whatever valley we may be in, we the, it's got to peak again. You know, that's just what what I knew. So, yeah, there were definitely some um, very emotional moments where you're hearing, you know, government and whatnot say, well, we're taking this and that. And I was already to exit plan. I was like, so what things are, what do we need to return? Because I need to minimize, <laughs> you know, I was just like, like, give it to me, bro. Like, you know, if you're going to hit me in the knees, let's see, because I'm about to nub my way to whatever is next. And we had already determined, we're like, well, we're downsizing again. You know, we just came up with something, but you know, for me, I'm anchored. My identity is in Christ. And, um, I, I just know he doesn't undo what he does, you know? So, one thing, I don't think your future ever holds going to Uber or DoorDash. <laughs> you are a marketing and branding expert. Uh, that field is like made for you if you're ever like somewhere else. What I love about what you just mentioned that I think uh, it takes 10 or 15 years for a lot of people to ever get there when, when, they, when they build something to the level that you have and put so much energy and passion behind it. So many of us as entrepreneurs, uh, so many of you in the nonprofit space, identify with you are your business. Your mm -hmm. business is you. It's a direct reflection. You're all one. And you just mentioned, hey, I'm, I'm a woman. Mm -hmm. I'm somebody outside of divas. And that realization, I think, is really important for people as they're building things, as they're plugging into places where their passion or where they've put Lord knows how many thousands of hours into you still got to be you. You still have to be a person there, and you have to be somebody that's standalone on your own, and you don't have to have this business or this nonprofit 
to be important and be who you are and be grounded. I think that's a really cool message to to point out and share there. I was going back through some old notes. Actually, it was a video. So it was a Facebook video I did last year at this time. I always like one of my part of my daily process is the Facebook memories things. All right, what was I saying last year and the year before? And it's also an opportunity to delete things. It's phenomenal. <laughs> you can actually delete part of your past. It's great. But one of the things I came across the other day was a video I did, and it talked about who you are is more important than like what you do. Like that's the, the starting block is like, who am I? And again, Shonda, you said, like, I'm, I'm a woman. I'm a mother. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm a winner. Like, these things that are like who you are, who your identity is, is beyond and more important than like what you do, whether it's your profession or whatever it is. And if we can get anchored in tr- the truth of who we really are, that's the power that we get to do the things that we need to we need to do to win. And you even mentioned that too. You're like, all right, this is who I am. And even with pulling back in, it's like, well, these are the things that as a result of who I am, this is what I'm going to do on a daily basis. So you're going to work with your daughter and her process mm-hmm. of recovery. You're going to you know, do this and do that. And it's just such an important thing, again, to remember who I am as a person is more important than whatever little educational you know, acronym I have by my name or what my LinkedIn profile may say about me. And I think that again, in the entrepreneur adventure, it's just so easy to get lost somewhere in the mountains and the valleys and like kind of forget who you are. And that's the ultimate, most important thing. If you're going to truly win in life as an entrepreneur, you got to know who you are and what, what the win is for you. Like Mm -hmm. this is who I am. So this is what I do. And it just, I'm not taking no for an answer. I'm going to do X, Y, Z. This is where I'm going to wind up. The, the government will move the deadlines if the government moves, moves the deadlines. We're starting to get. That's right. Uh, I, I will be resilient. I will survive. We will, we will get through this, and we'll come out winners on the other end. I think that's that's amazing. So I have a very specific question I want to ask you. This is from an education standpoint for me mm-hmm. as a business owner, and your space is so much harder and so much more complicated than a business, and, and we talk about this from time to time people are volunteering their time. You're, you're guiding people that you're not even paying and you're dealing with fundraising and different things that are complicated from a financial standpoint. But the place I want to go and the place I want to learn from you from a business standpoint, we struggle with how do we serve our customers on a high level, but how do we remain a business and make money? We're, this is a profitable business to be sustainable. We got to make money. But we care so much about serving our customers, we want to spend a lot of money there. It's a whole nother escalator level for you. You are serving people going through traumatic times. Mm-hmm. How do you keep the discipline from just giving all your money away or trying to serve mm-hmm. too many women that financially it strains it? Uh, how have you been able to accomplish growing and serving in such an important space and a place that there's an unlimited need, but protecting the financial side of the business. Mm-hmm. Like, Yeah, so um, I stopped shopping so much to make divas beautiful. <laughs> that was my lesson from 2019. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's lots of conversations, really leaning into my team Mm-hmm. And and vetting through, you know, certain organization, uh, certain peers that may come in and might have these recurring. So we're still in process of kind of creating the rubric, you know, we, mm-hmm. because we know we're going to divvy outside of the rubric. Um, I, we have this amazing transportation partnership with another organization had X amount of dollars. Well, in a month, you know, the need has been so great that we have like 
$400 left and we thought we'd make it to the end of the year. So we just scaled back and that was just an internal decision as a team. I said, okay, well, we, if, if this person is not really connected to our organization, meaning we don't see them once or twice per month, then they're level three. So our level one are the girls we see every week. So we're going to be more invested in them. And some things have just come about, you know, because we, we won't, we can't be known for the place that gives away free lift rides. You know, we've got to be known for, Hey, there's these women that used to be what I am trying to struggle my way out of. And they're amazing. Have you been there yet? You know, so we're just sort of watching that trend. So a lot of it has just been sort of trial by error, but I'm faster catching it. So a year ago, uh, heartstrings uh, would have pulled more. And I was like, it's Christmas. Just keep going. Pull that out of that account. And now I'm like, oh, no, ma'am. <laughs> you know, uh, we've got to create the, the rubric for it. And, and um, you know, and, and we have to learn to say no, you know, sometimes, hard, no, yeah. you know, um, had a peer, we know, you know, is living in her car. Some other agencies are supporting and the very best thing we can do, we're having Thanksgiving dinner next Wednesday. And so our peer coach invited her and her family. You know, I would have loved to be able to write a thousand dollar check so that she could stay in a home, but that's just really not our role. So that's been important, I'd say, to add, to add clarity to my answer is really realizing our role and, mm-hmm. and where's our 10? You know, our 10 is peer support services, meeting women where they are and leverage our, our lived experience because they can't really, I don't know how many organizations they'll walk into where somebody's going to openly say, yeah, I come out of sex trade. Yes, I was an IV druggie. You know, whatever. I don't know. Some some may exist, but there's not a plethora of those. And I know the power. I've watched it time and time again of women just stand there and cry and ask permission to sit on the couch because it's so beautiful and they're not accustomed. You know what I mean? So we know that that's our 10. Our 10 is our lived experience, the grace of God over our lives, and that we are leaders now. And that's what we want to be contagious. Our 10 is not um, being a shelter. You know, one day we'll be a safe house. Our 10 is not purchasing vehicles for single moms, but we can create partnerships where a woman can get closer to that. So it's it's learning where our 10 is and what adds the most value. And we kind of work our way backwards from there. That's really cool. So you've been able to identify, hey, how do we stay on our mission, but mm-hmm. also the place we can be the most valuable. It's yeah. by saying no to other things, we can offer more value by staying in our lane. And then I love the tiers. We're going to mm-hmm. tier things one, two, three, or yeah. however you do it and focus our money on tier one. And if we have extra, we'll get down to tier two and three. I think that's... Oh, that's great business advice. Yeah, that's something absolutely. something that we've done in our business, right? Like we're able to more clearly define, like niche even more, like this is who our, our deal client is. This is who we're trying to serve. We're building our whole company around serving this one little niche. This is where we win and yeah, they win. This, is, this the, is the value. This is tier one. This is tier two. And so we know like we may get an opportunity. And again, in yeah. regular, you know, uh, business, it's a potential prospect. And we're like, you know, we're just not really the best fit for that person. And so we're leaving money on the table by not taking them. But in reality, we're just choosing to focus on who we can serve above and beyond. Right? Absolutely. And it's not everybody. It's There's yeah. a niche. There's a specific. So Shonda, let's land the plane here. Tell us a little bit about, you can't let Shonda leave without talking about vision. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, what's the vision for Divas? Because 
I just want to know what government laws are moving, what buildings may just like part, like Old, te- <laughs> old Testament. Guys, he's going to like split some building in mm-hmm. half. Where's Divas heading in the future? So our future um, is uh, to not have the boulder that fell in our bellies in May of this year when state funding was um, being cut, when we were on the chopping block, you know. So that meant immediate diversifying of our streams of revenue that come in. And one of those ways um, was in our three-year plan for sustainability. Um, So something that happens, and when someone comes to Tour Divas, which um, hoping that you guys will make your way over there. <laughs> we just go uh, walk across the street. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but when they tour, people uh, from the outside tend to knock on the door like they're quite, not quite sure. Are we a safe house? Are we doing trauma therapy? You know, they're just really nervous, men especially, nervous to kind of come in. So I, I observed that over a year ago. Um, so we wanted to create a way that we could open our doors with an open invitation where people come in community could come and learn about who we are. So that is our repurposed space over at Tracy Street um, is going to be a thrift boutique called the Freedom Boutique where we'll carry a couple of survivor-based products that are brand new, like candles and um, knit bags and scarves and things. But 75% will just be our overflow of clothing in our career closet, just in-style women's apparel, upscale thrift boutique. But we're really not opening for that. Like people think that they're coming to shop, but on the walls will be messaging around um, sex trafficking, how it impacts our community, a few survivor stories. So it really is um, a, a storybook that women will walk into to get a pair of shoes or a beautiful candle. But our staff and our team there will be trained in the messaging behind the, the epidemic of, of sex trafficking in community. So that our soft launch for that is December 4th. Um, and then our six month goal from there is May 1st, um, something we've been dreaming about for about 18 months is again, how can we educate more? How can we do something more than a conference once a year? but around sex trafficking. Um, you know, my, some, a few of my kids graduated from Clark Central. My kids went to Timothy Elementary and my daughter was trafficked just 20 miles from here. So I wanna do all I can for Athens and pray that it spreads, but what type of experience can we create where community would, can take a deep dive into this issue in a trauma-informed way to be better educated, period. So we're, um, it's called the Freedom Experience. It will be a 15 minute um, walkthrough. You'll grab a pair of headphones when you come through the door and you'll walk through seven little small rooms. Each will have an artifact around that phase of trafficking. And um, you'll hear possibly me, I haven't decided if we'll have a voiceover person or not, but it's my story of my daughter's experience. And um, I just went away last month for three days and shut up in a hotel to finally write. I've dreaded writing it for a year, but it was finally time. It's like, it's time because in January we have to start the build out and all of that. So community members will pay $10 for a ticket and then walk through those phases. And you'll learn so much about how we can protect our children, um, about how you can be part of the solution, and to just instill some hope because at the end, we were fortunate. I, I got to pick my daughter up again, you know? And that's like our big community 
give back. And at the end of the walk, um, then community will be invited to partner with one of our programs that we have, you know, through our center. Both of those goals lead to our two-year out goal, which is to have a two-year um, free safe house for women that has complete wraparound services. So everything she needs, when you think about neglected health care, um, vision care, trauma therapy, uh, dentures, so many things women come out of uh, being trafficked in prostitution they may need. So uh, yeah, that's like the, the big, big goal is that this sustainability pieces that we're putting in place, the education, will lead to two years from now women will we will start with four women that's our goal is to put four women in a beautiful house a beautiful home and um between now and then what what is the industry we'll create we don't know you know a lot of our partnering agencies create candles or they do jewelry so we're connected with thistle farms out of nashville um, they did like $6 million in revenue uh, last year, but it's a complete survivor-led. So that's really end goal. The safe house, the women have to have a place to sleep that's safe and shower because they can't think. When you're homeless, you can't really think about future. You know what I mean? So house them, and then what will they put their hands to to work? What cottage industry will we create? And we're waiting on Athens to, to tell us that. We'll experiment with products in our boutique, you know, over the course of the next year. And Athens will tell us based on what the Square Report <laughs> says for sales. They'll tell us what they like, you know. Do yeah. they like soy candles? Do they like scarves? Do they like jewelry? Um, and then our survivors will go and, and, and work at Divas, you know, at one of those cottage industries. I want to know if you have the name yet for the safe house. Do you have a name yet? Key Sisters, but we don't know for sure. Um, of course, she's got the name. You know, there's like a logo <laughs> yeah, and yeah, a brochure yeah. and colors. Yeah, and, we, yes. Key Sisters, but I don't know. I've been having second thoughts. I'm not I'm not 100% sure. I'm going to let the women tell us, I think. Okay. So, so we do know Freedom Boutique for the boutique and Freedom Experience for the walkthrough. So we're going to lean into the, the ladies to uh, tell us what they want. Um, their home to be called. That's awesome. Yeah. Shauna, we are so glad you could make it all the way across the street in three <laughs> minutes and sit down with us and share. I know for me, and again, I've heard some of the story before I read the book. I just feel inspired to try to do more and not from the standpoint of like growing my business, but just making a bigger difference in our community because that's what you're doing. You're like seeing things that aren't visible yet and then mm -hmm. six months later like we get to see them because they are visible because mm -hmm. you made it happen so thanks so much for, for spending some time with us today and letting us know about your entrepreneur adventure thank you all for having me glad to be your neighbor thank you for joining us for this episode of the entrepreneur adventure if you enjoyed today's conversation please be sure to like and subscribe to the entrepreneur adventure wherever you listen to podcasts also be sure to check us out on the web at www.theentrepreneuradventure.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram as well. And remember, the Entrepreneur Adventure does not have to be traveled alone, but is a journey to be shared. We'll catch you next time on the Entrepreneur Adventure, where we give you the tools to climb higher and faster than ever before.